Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for listening to Embodied Astrology. My name is Renee Sills. I will be your guide for the next hour or so on a journey through astrology. And astrology, as I understand it, is a language for earthlings. It's a way that we can tell stories about the place and the time that we're in. And astrology is one of the oldest practices on earth. It has the same roots as astronomy, as science, as medicine. Um, Of course, humans have looked up at the stars and wondered why we're here forever, for as long as we've existed. And in that time, we've developed practices of observing and calculating and predicting and noticing what happens when certain events recur. So astrology is an observational practice. It is not a science. It doesn't formulate theories uh, in the same way that science does to be proven or disproven. It offers metaphors. It offers a creative interpretation. And what I love about it most is that it is so open to interpretation. And so for me, I'm coming from a place uh, of somatic awareness. My background is in body work. I've been a yoga teacher for 15 years. I work with people's energy. I'm a sensate intuitive. That means that I feel things through my body and what I feel is intuition. And astrology charts speak to me through my body. So this is a language of light. It's a language of season. Our bodies are affected by light and season. That's how I understand astrology. And for the next little bit of time, I'm going to be talking about the astrology for the new moon in Sagittarius on December 6th and the entire new moon phase uh, extending through December 22nd. Before I get into that, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Um, The listenership for this podcast has grown quite a bit since I began it four years ago. So thank you to all of you who tune in regularly. Um, It has really been an amazing journey and experiment for me to develop this podcast and uh, it's getting to a place where there's opportunities opening up and I'm really excited next year to start to implement some of those ideas that I've been having. Um, So thank you for being here and being part of it and thank you so much to those of you who helped develop this work. If you share this work, if you click like if you email the newsletter onto your friend you're helping me you're spreading it if you're donating one time or every month your financial contributions help me I sit alone in my house recording these podcasts and spend a lot of time researching charts and trying to understand what they mean so your dollars are directly contributing to the production of this podcast And if you want to help out, you can go over to embodiedastrology.com, click on donate, and you can make a one-time donation of any amount. And if you sign up for a recurring monthly donation, you will receive these free astrological planners that I've been creating. Um, So they're monthly planners based on the zodiacal month. We are halfway through Sagittarius season. We're coming up on Capricorn season. And these planners include information on planetary aspects and lunar cycles and they are there to help you kind of learn about the basics of astrology track it in your daily life note how it works for you and become empowered with it as a language of your own so if you're interested in accessing one of these planners uh, you can donate at any amount per month and that donation helps me make them so thank you to those of you who are supporting and please consider supporting if you enjoy this podcast I also want to just let you know there are a couple of upcoming events on December 22nd at North Portland Yoga, if you're in Portland, Oregon. Um, 
I will be offering a solstice event. It's a full moon and uh, reflection, meditation. We'll take a somatic voyage into our bodies, into our minds, into our memories. We'll be using drawing and writing and uh, sensing, feeling, um, and astrology to kind of say goodbye <laughs> to the last year, to drop into our own intuition. It's the longest night of the year and a place of a lot of richness and uh, connection to mystery. So that's on December 22nd. It's during the afternoon, I think, on a Saturday. And then coming up on January 5th, also in Portland, Oregon, at Psychic Sister, I'm going to be offering a 2019 astrology workshop. So if you're interested in learning about upcoming transits in 2019 and how this is going to affect you, check out that workshop because I'll be giving a lot of information and tools for working with the astrology of 2019, which is some really spectacular astrology leading to 2020, which is going to be a really big year. Um, later in January, the date is not totally confirmed. Also in Portland, I'll be offering a workshop um, around Capricorn and Saturn. So this is for everyone. This is for everyone's alignment and integrity and understanding how to work with their own planning and ambition. But this is especially for people who were born in the 80s and 90s. Um, so I'm reaching out especially to people in their like 20s and 30s. Um, there are a couple of aspects that were in the early 80s and then the mid 80s through the early 90s that are really important um, in how they're going to be stimulated next year. So if you're part of this group, um, stay tuned in and check uh, Facebook, Instagram, and my website, and there will be more information soon. All right, new moon, Sagittarius, December 6th. Here we go. This is some really profound astrology. I've been sitting with this chart for the last week and feeling it moving through me in some pretty potent and powerful ways. I've been checking in with a lot of my colleagues, um, those who I know and those who I don't know, people who are in my immediate sphere and also people who I listen to, um, and feeling like we're all picking up on the same stuff. So these last couple of weeks particularly have been pretty magnificent in the amount of information and process that they've been bringing through. And I think that these next uh, number of months that we're heading into have a ton to give and there's gonna be a lot of energy uh, kind of moving in many different ways, but I think for those of us who are tuning in and those of us who are really doing our best to use this as an opportunity for awakening, I think that the upcoming time is actually pretty exciting. Um, so I'm going to start off just with the basics. A new moon is when the sun and the moon align from our perspective here on Earth. And of course, the moon is a satellite. It's orbiting our Earth and our Earth is orbiting the sun. And so the apparent view that we get, what appears to us on Earth, is that the sun and the moon occupy the same space. And that means that the moon is not reflecting the sun's light back to us. Symbolically, the sun and the moon are our primary lights. I mean, they are really the most immediate light that we experience here on earth. We need the sun. <laughs> if the sun wasn't here, neither would we uh, be. And the moon is a way that we can observe 
the light of the sun in in kind of a more subjective and personal way so you can't look directly at the sun right we need it we feel it we're so tied and connected to it but if we look at it we're going to go blind and it's crazy hot we can't get there so it's this powerful force similar to what we might think of as the god force or um the you know consciousness that we kind of get it we know that we're part of it we know that we need it but what the fuck it is we don't really know however the moon we can look at it we can gaze at it for hours it is familiar to us every single month it goes through phases we track those phases the moon represents in astrology the accumulation of experience over time and this is why the moon is associated to family to familiarness it's a sense of belonging it's our moon we get to look at the moon and it reflects light back to us it helps us see in the dark um, so when there's a dark moon, symbolically the moon is infused with the light of the sun. And this is our subjective awareness, right? Our familiar, close-in awareness being infused with this bigger cosmic light. And at the dark moon, symbolically, a seed is planted. So the light of the sun uh, gets planted in the moon and then the moon goes through two weeks of growing that impulse and two weeks after a new moon we have a full moon something is illuminated something is revealed to us and then we have two weeks of dissemination that light is um, fading and integrating and we're deciding what to do with it and then letting it go letting the next thing come along so the lunar cycle or any planetary cycle um, is like this so things come into alignment they come into relationship with one another they grow out of that alignment they move into opposition and then they come back and this is how these orbits kind of um, continue to cycle with each other and this is anytime I'm talking about a planetary aspect you can think of it in terms of the lunar aspects so if I'm talking about a square that's a 90 degree relationship that's the same as when you look up in the sky and the moon looks like a half circle so that's a 90 degree um, illumination of the moon from the sun. Anytime that I'm talking about a trine, that's a 120 degree aspect. Or a sextile, 60 degree aspect. An opposition, um, 180 degrees aspect, right? So these are mathematical calculations. They're relationships of the planets to one another from our perspective on Earth. And that point is important, and we're going to be talking about that quite a bit in today's podcast. Like, what is our perspective on Earth? Because this has to do with the sign Sagittarius. So right now in the sky, from our apparent view, the sun and the moon are aligning in the zodiacal uh, season of Sagittarius. So this is tropical astrology, which is what I teach, what I offer, is um, a language of seasonal light. Okay, so... The season of Sagittarius is the 30-day span of time leading up to the winter solstice. Or if you happen to be on the other side than me, <laughs> the summer solstice. So we're moving into one of these uh, really important days of the year where the light is going to be at its uh fullest in the southern hemisphere or the night is going to be at its longest in the northern hemisphere so that is the season of Sagittarius in tropical astrology just side note if you want to know more about what I'm talking about right now tropical astrology versus other kinds of astrologies you can get on my website embodiedastrology.com 
And if you click on about, you'll see about astrology. And that's an article I wrote some years ago. It probably needs an update. Um, but it's kind of like what I'm talking about. The difference between tropical astrology, which is a language of light, and sidereal astrology, otherwise known as Jyotish or Indian astrology, which is a language of stars, constellations. They're not the same. They are different. Uh, go learn about it. Okay, so anyway... New moon in Sagittarius, we have the sun and the moon coming together at this point in the sky, and our consciousness is being infused with Sagittarius. Now, this is uh, not just Sagittarius, because I want to say that um, the degree point that the sun and the moon are occupying, 15 degrees of Sagittarius when they come together, right at the middle of the sign, happens to also be the same degree point where we can see, again, from our point of view on Earth, where we can see what's called the Great Attractor. Okay, so time out again for me to just gush a little bit about astronomy and cosmology. It is so cool, guys. It is so awesome. Um, when you get stressed out about the news, like go spend some time reading about cosmology. I just want to offer that. Like, the, the universe, the multiverse, is this amazing place, and we are not so special, and there's a lot of shit going on out there, and it is wild. Okay, so the great attractor. Um, this is a, a concept that I've heard about, but I didn't know so much about it until recently when I was researching this chart, actually, and um, what this degree point is all about. Before I get into that, I want to mention something else about Sagittarius, which is that it also includes what's called the galactic core. I'm going to talk about these things from the astronomy first, and then I'll translate that into the astrology. So what is Sagittarius? What is contained in Sagittarius as this place? So first of all, there's the galactic core, the galactic center. This is a place that from our point of view here on Earth, the center of our galaxy is, is right? So we're in the Milky Way galaxy, our planet, our Earth, our sun, right? Our solar system. We're just like this kind of far off suburb of the Milky Way. We're not even close to downtown. Like we're way out on the fringes. And our solar system is part of this larger galaxy and the galaxy is swirling around its center. And that center is a black hole. And a black hole is constantly like spewing out matter and also sucking it in. And I don't really totally understand how they work. I've watched a lot of YouTube videos about them. You should do that too. They're wild. So this is at the center of our galaxy. This is called the galactic core, the galactic center. And this is also part of what Sagittarius is, okay, just as a location. Now, secondly, in the middle of the sign, there is what's called the great attractor. And here's the thing, is our galaxy is one of many, many, many galaxies. Okay, like, first of all, our solar system is just this tiny little fringe, ho-dink, nowhere in the Milky Way galaxy. And then the Milky Way galaxy is in a neighborhood of other galaxies. Some of them are bigger, some of them are smaller, but there's a lot of them, something like 100,000 other galaxies, scientists say. I don't really know what that means. It takes like 233 million light years to cross this neighborhood that we're a part of. And 
this entire neighborhood of galaxies is slowly, I don't even know what the speed is because I can't really comprehend cosmic speed, but we are moving progressively towards this thing called the Great Attractor. This is science, you guys, I'm not making this up. So the Great Attractor is this place, apparently near uh, this other place. Now I'm going to get this all wrong. I was just reading about it on Wikipedia. I'll link the article from Embodied Astrology if you want to see it. Um, anyway, it's this other galaxy called Norma. Made me laugh when I read about it. Um, now I can't remember why. Anyway, the Great Attractor is this place that is pulling us all towards it. So if you imagine like like in my house, my house is kind of old and it wasn't built super well and um, the floor is a little crooked. And so if I put a marble like on my floor, it will actually roll from one end of my living room to the other. This is kind of like what's happening. Like our galaxies are all moving towards this place called the Great Attractor. I'm gonna leave it there. I'm gonna link the article. If any of you are astronomers, if somehow scientists are into astrology and y'all are listening to this podcast and you wanna tell me more or maybe even come on as a guest sometime and explain all this in a, in a you know more comprehensive way, please contact me. So anyway, this, this thing, which is an apparent anomaly, um, it's a thing that we can see, but we don't really understand is pulling everything towards it. And this is also in Sagittarius. Okay. So that's the astronomy. Now the astrology, right? The language of humans describing the symbols that we are perceiving and trying to make sense of them. Wisdom is infinite. We live in this, who knows what to call it, this crazy space. I mean, we're in the Earth's atmosphere, but the Earth is this speck in something that none of us really understand. And that thing that we don't understand is constantly expanding, and it's moving towards something that we also don't really understand, but we know that all of our galaxies are being pulled that way. This is incomprehensible. The amount that we would have to know to understand what our actual predicament is, is completely beyond the scope of anything that any of us will ever know. Like ever, never, it's not possible. Wisdom is infinite, right? It's, it's the nature of wisdom is actually unknown. So therefore, any system of knowledge, whether that is astrology, science, Christianity, cooking, I mean, however it is that you're like, yes, I'm an expert, I know something, right? Any system of knowledge is imperfect and just a fraction of a percent of what could possibly be known. To think otherwise, like to think other than that is uh, just blatant arrogance. And this is kind of that, that in itself is a summary of what Sagittarius is. So as an astrological energy, this is a sign that represents infinite and constantly expanding wisdom. It is the outer edges of what can possibly be known and the compulsion to magnify and push into and expand those edges, to reach into the unknown, to ask why, to ask what. 
That's Sagittarius. It's, it's ruled by the planet Jupiter. Jupiter uh, in astronomy is like the biggest planet in our solar system. It can fit, what is it, like 1,300 Earths inside of it. It can contain all of the other planets in our solar system. It's constantly expanding. It is this big gaseous force, right? Like the thing that Sagittarius is, is unknown. In our body, Sagittarius rules the liver. The liver as an organ is kind of like Jupiter. It does so many things. It has so many jobs that describing all of those things would take an entire volume of encyclopedias, not volume, like um, set, you know, a set of encyclopedias, maybe even more. Like science doesn't even know all the stuff that the liver does. This is Sagittarius, okay? This, it's like, it is wisdom, and it is the kind of wisdom that knows that there is always so much more to know. It's the kind of wisdom that goes on forever. Okay, this is Sagittarius. To think otherwise is arrogance. It can only be described as arrogance. This is also Sagittarius. It is people specifically who think that they know things. And so Sagittarius represents teachers, gurus, meaning makers, knowledge producers, and high-level judges, broadcasters, people who spread information. Like when you read about, you know, Sagittarius jobs, it's like this kind of thing. These are the kinds of people. So people who are in the business of making meaning, astrologers, right? Making meaning, telling stories, and spreading those stories, spreading those ideas. Sagittarius is a fire sign. All of the fire signs are personally oriented. Aries as a fire sign is me, myself, and I. It's all about the ego. Leo as a fire sign is like my expression, my specialness, my uniqueness. This is what I have to give. Sagittarius as a fire sign, my belief systems. This is what I say is right. And what Sagittarius is as fire is the fire that spreads. So it's mutable fire. This kind of fire is the, the embers, you know, from one fire that are going to travel over and start the next. And as a, a symbol, fire that spreads is passion. It is opinion. It is belief system. So it's like when you get fired up about something and you're like, oh my God, that's right. Like teenagers, you know, we're all kind of like that. Um, we are ourselves as constant teenagers, we're all like that, you know? It's like when you get lit up by some idea that just blows your mind, you get really excited about it, you want to learn more, you want to tell everyone about it, you want to convince people about it. This is also Sagittarius. People who are on a mission to teach, they have some serious Sagittarius energy in their chart. I have serious Sagittarius energy in my chart. I love Sagittarius. I have like three major planets there, Uranus, Jupiter, conjunct in Sag, trying my sun in Leo. Like this is, it's like tons of Sagittarius energy that I'm working with all the time. And these, I'll talk more about that in a bit, but like this uh, kind of dual or, or balanced job as a meaning maker, right? To be in a place where I'm like, oh my God, there's this meaning. Like, here's this story. I'm so excited about it. You guys, listen, let me tell you. And then to also be in a place where I'm like, I don't know anything. Like, I don't actually know. There's no way I could know. 
I mean, you hear about this all the time with teachers, right? Like that it's important to stay in the beginner's mind because if you get convinced about the thing that you're teaching, all the only thing that can describe you is arrogant. Like if you think that you're right, you're wrong. And we live in a world <laughs> that is basically made by these people um, who have thought that they are right. So let's break this down a little bit. Sagittarius implies perspective and it implies experience. And it is the people who know something and the people who have the power to expand knowledge and produce knowledge and define knowledge. Side note, as the opposite sign of Gemini, and Gemini is, um, you can you can understand it as like our conditioning. It's the ways that we're socialized in our early formative and cognitive development. So elementary school, siblings, your neighborhood, situations that you don't choose, and they teach you things about your normal and the way that you should act, etc. Sagittarius is the effort to move beyond that. And so Sagittarius symbolizes, um, you know, if Gemini symbolizes elementary school, Sagittarius symbolizes higher academia. If Gemini symbolizes your neighborhood, Sagittarius is a symbol of foreign lands, foreign countries. Gemini is a symbol for siblings and close-in friends. Sagittarius is a symbol for... Um, people who are really different than you. Gemini is a symbol of elementary school teachers and K through 12 guides. Um, Sagittarius is a symbol of higher level academia, right? Like teachers, gurus, etc. So Sagittarius is the, the attempt and the path uh, to move beyond your immediate conditioning. So in the world that we live in, right, in this moment of arising on the earth, we, uh, for the most part, when I say we, I'm talking broadly, um, are living in systems of patriarchy. And I just want to define it really quick, like what patriarchy is, because it's a word that people use a lot. Um, patriarchy is defined as a system of society or government in which the father or the eldest male is the head of the family line and descent is traced through the male line. Another way to understand patriarchy is the tr uh, transmission or the inheritance of wealth and privilege. And this is or has been um, given to men, given to the most powerful men, maybe not necessarily the father or the oldest, but often, it's wealth that travels through the male line. It's power that travels through the male, male line. So in our world right now, if we examine themes of Sagittarius, we will see that they are uh, threads of maleness. So higher level academics, there's a place to start. Academia, what a fucking shit show that place is. Who here has been to grad school, right? Like if you've, if you've gone through the experience of higher level academia, you know that first of all, it's completely inhumane. The kind of environment that uh, like graduate program and PhD programs are, are insanely competitive. They promote this uh, like myopic kind of, um, 
it, it's like a black hole kind of <laughs> like to be in that experience is kind of like a black hole. It's like you're, you're expanding in really crazy ways, but also being condensed and squished out of your body. You know, there's so much emphasis on what you can produce in terms of your knowledge and how you're going to show that and zero emphasis on how you can sustain and actually be in your body and be relational. Higher level academia is all about who gets to say what, like who runs the departments, who publishes the journals, who verifies your knowledge. And if you talk to any women of color who have been involved in higher level academia, they will tell you something about who gets to decide because maybe this is starting to change, but for the most part, it has been white people and mostly white men right? Like these are the people who have decided what the academy is. And so if we're basing knowledge on some kind of academic um, scale, that scale has been defined by a certain group of people who have inherited privilege. These are people who were able to go to the best schools, who were um, supported financially so that they could go through something like graduate school or PhD school and not have to work full time while they were doing it or raise a kid or something like that. These are people who are given all of the training, right? Like they're sent to all of the best schools in order for them to get to the place where they are. Yes, there are a few exceptions here and there, but for the most part, these are the people who are defining knowledge within our institutions. Um, gurus, here's another one. Spiritual teachers. There are a couple ladies out there mostly dudes, right? It's mostly men who are the spiritual teachers, whether we're talking about priests and ministers, right? Like in a lot of the, the Christian tradition, and I don't know about like other of the, the Abrahamic traditions, but I know there, you know, like there's some process around like, can a rabbi be a female? Can a priest be a female? Uh, can an imam be a female? I don't even know. So mostly men, right? It's mostly men who have been in the space of saying, uh, he here's what God said. Like, I've been given the authority to speak for God. Who are the people that have been able to do that? And then if you look more uh, broadly at gurus and this idea of gurus, um, like who are the spiritual teachers out there? And I'm going to talk more about that in a second, so I don't want to go too far on that tangent, but again, mostly guys. Um, scientists, this is a male-dominated sector. More and more women are coming in, thank the goddess, but it's mostly men. And higher-level judges, right? Usually men, mostly men, until fairly recently, maybe a couple of ladies like Ruth Gator Ginsburg and Sotomayor, like, thank goodness they're there. But it's mostly men, and they are put in place by men. Broadcasters, Sagittarius rules broadcasting and, and like mass media. Who are the people at the heads of corporations at the, you know, the broadcasting conglomerate? They're men. So here's the thing about knowledge, like the way that we contextualize our experience is through knowledge. We learn about things. We're given information and told this is real, or we're given information and we're told this is important. And that information and who gets to decide it's important and what stories are continued, for the most part, has uh, have been um, defined and validated and uh, disseminated, not just by men, but by men who come from money. 
and by men who uh, come from families who can put them in those positions. And those families, um, at least over here in the United States, have have been Christian and they've been white. So this is where, you know, if like we're thinking about knowledge, I just want to kind of pause for a moment and point out what happens with Sagittarius is that people want to think that they're right. And this kind of need that I don't know why, you know, we have it, maybe we don't have it, maybe it's part of this time, maybe our ancestors and the DNA that we carry is capable of being in like multiplicity and saying like, oh, many, many, many truths are possible. I don't need to choose just one. But there's something about the human instinct that really wants to be right, that really wants to be better than, that really wants to have the answer. And I don't know what that is. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. Like when did that first fissure happen in the human psyche that we uh, looked at other people who are basically us, right? Like if you live in community, which we all do here on the planet Earth, and you hurt someone else, you are really directly hurting yourself. Like you are fucking things up for yourself when you hurt other people. I don't know, like when did it happen that the human mind became so fractured that we stopped knowing that? And we started thinking, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be right. That happened at some point. There's a lot of stories about it. But anyway, I digress. So authority, opinion, beliefs. The sign Capricorn comes after Sagittarius, and Capricorn is when these this fire, this, this fire that spreads, hardens into the earth realm and becomes rules and traditions and structures. Talk about Capricorn next month. Um, so my experience as a female and as a queer person in a lineage of um, teachers is, I, I think, maybe like worth talking about. And I don't spend a ton of time on this podcast talking about myself, but um, maybe I will for this one since... Sagittarius is something that I really resonate with, like as an energy. I told you a moment ago um, a little bit how it works in my chart, and it's also my role. So as an astrologer, as a yoga teacher, as a person who um, is an advisor to people, I very much embody Sagittarius. So it feels important to talk about it from a personal space. Um, So I'm going to start with like a mini biography a little bit. I was born to radicals, and both of my parents um, were radicalized in their 20s. They were like part of the flower child generation. Um, My dad's family uh, comes from an Orthodox Jewish line. I found out recently that my great-great-great-grandfather was the mystic seer of Krakow. He was some kind of oracle, um, which was interesting to me. But they were Orthodox Jews, and they escaped persecution in Eastern Europe, fled to the United States. This is my dad's line. He was raised in a very um, like controlling Jewish family that experienced persecution in the 1950s. So like really like fearful beings, um, a lot of them. And... In his 20s, he um, started dropping LSD and like the world opened up and he got really political, really um, turned into quite an activist and still is. 
My mom's uh, line comes from like Western European mutts. And I know uh, in those descendants, we have uh, ancestors who are burnt at the stake. So witches on her line, as well as slave owners, landholders, like white people with power from the like pilgrims and early colonialists. So these two people, like in their 1920s, she was also radicalized as a feminist and um, activist. They kind of came together. They um, had me and we spent the first part of my life living in a car and living in a bus and like traveling a lot of places and living in a lot of different places. So as a really young person, I experienced Sagittarius like this um, foreign lands, foreign countries, my mom told me some story about how I had just kind of gotten a grip on English and then we went and lived in Mexico for a year and a half. And for the first six months that I was there, I was so pissed off that I had like just learned one language and then I couldn't understand anything that I made up my own language and I wouldn't talk to anyone. I would only speak in my own language. Anyway, it's a side note. So really early years, um, we lived in Mexico. We lived on a number of different um, reservations. We spent, I think, the most time at Big Mountain, which is a um, Navajo and Hopi reservation in Arizona. And then my dad went to school for indigenous politics and he specialized in what he called or maybe what is called fourth world politics which is the like the indigenous zone so people who have been displaced people who are unrecognized people who have been colonized etc who still maintain sovereignty in their identities who still say like you know for example the Native Americans here in the United States have never ceded their land or in Canada have never ceded their land. And so there's uh, a, an unrecognized identity that's held by those peoples that says, no, we're not American. You know, we belong to whatever tr tribe we belong to, which there are many and there are many more than what have been grouped together on the reservations. So my early life, um, I was exposed to what I would say are more like quote unquote radical opinions in terms of um, just awareness, like basic awareness around identity. Then uh, in my kind of late childhood, early teens, um, parents split up. My mom moved to Boulder, Colorado, which is a mecca for new age spiritualism. And at that time, late 80s, early 90s, it was like really in this uh, explosion moment. So maybe some of you are students at Naropa University. I know I have a number of clients who are living in Boulder and Denver and who are involved in these communities. So Boulder is the home to, I think maybe, if it's not the only, it's one of the only accredited Buddhist universities. And this community was then a, a big part of my formation, kind of being around people who were carriers of wisdom traditions and people who claimed um, identities as teachers. And a lot of these folks uh, were our white people and a lot of these people were appropriating. And this was something that was pretty clear to me at that age, watching these people like take on the facades of indigenous practices and claim them as their own make money from them, right? Like gain power from them, but not actually be involved with those people in any kind of current or relevant way beyond using their tools, their symbols, their language, etc. 
So this built in me like a lot of irritation and I would say some, some deep conditioning that I have with, with spiritual teachers and rebellion towards them. But also a lot of appreciation and exposure because I was recipient to some really amazing information that, that I got exposed to and places where I was allowed to learn and questions that I was given to ask. And not all of it was bad at all. Like there definitely was this kind of darker side of the appropriation, but a lot of gifts too, to be exposed to these ways of thinking or these ways of practicing, etc. Um, in my early 20s, late teens and early 20s, I started studying and then teaching yoga pretty soon. And since then, um, the last 15, 16, 17 years, I've been somewhat more peripherally, um, but definitely engaged with the yoga community. And in the yoga community in the United States, at least, this um, idea of the spiritual teacher is really problematic, I think. Um, there is a, a hierarchy of yoga teachers, and I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast are yoga teachers. So right now, I'm going to speak directly to us and to the people who are listening and kind of like in relationship with us, um, and just express that the uh, hierarchy of teachers within our community goes directly against what I understand yoga to be. So what I understand yoga to be is a practice of attunement. And this practice of attunement includes inner body awareness, where we recognize what's happening in our somatic state and the way that the somatic state influences the emotional and the mental state. So this is everything that I talk about with embodied astrology, definitely everything that I'm working with in the somatic meditations. How do we become aware of what is unconscious in us. And 99.99999% of our experience is unconscious. As life forms on earth, we're built on pattern and habit. And these patterns and habits are effective. They're efficient. It's what creates our bodies again and again. It's why we don't have to relearn how to walk every single day. But pattern and habit are also unconscious. That's how they work. And so what I understand yoga to be is, is like peering deeply into those patterns, into those habits, and seeing what we're made of. And as we explore these habits and patterns, all kinds of stuff open up. So we recognize our conditioning, the way that our bodies grew. We remember our embryonic existence. We remember our past lives. We feel into our relationships with other life forms. We identify as other life forms. So when you read um, through the Vedas or the Yoga Sutra and you learn about the cities or these um, special powers that yogis have, it's the power of remembering what we already know. That's what I think yoga is. Within the, the lineage of yoga, at least what I can speak to, which is my direct experience in the United States, I've never been to India, um, there are all these people who are knowledge holders and who have their like brand oh, I'm Anusara, I'm Bikram, I'm Ashtanga, like whatever you are. And then these teachers that are called gurus that are um, exalted and basically given power as the knowledge holders. And when we're students, and I've had this experience definitely more than one time, we're enthralled. 
because these people have power and they are able to um, facilitate experiences where we get to feel ourselves and remember what we already know. So in my experience as a, a yoga student, I've encountered many teachers and those teachers have all woken up some aspect of my being uh, or helped me wake up that aspect of my being. They've held a space, they've said a word, they have given an adjustment, they have offered something from their experience and whatever it was, I took a huge breath in and went, oh my God, there I am. And some part of me came back or I woke up to, to something in myself. Now, the instinct, and this is how we've been conditioned by patriarchy, is to then say, oh, it's because of that teacher that I know. Oh, I learned from him. It's usually a him. I learned from them. I learned from her. Because of that teacher, now I have my knowledge. Oh, I practice in their stream and we attribute our knowledge to them. And then what happens is that these teachers become really fucked up because that's what happens with human beings when you give them a lot of power to any human beings. It doesn't matter what kind of power, spiritual power, monetary power, corporate power, familial power, whatever, like power corrupts, right? Like that's the thing. So spiritual teachers get given power by us, by the students, and then they start to misuse the power. And now, from this other space where I find myself often, more often uh, maybe in a teaching role than going to class role, I still have teachers that I follow really try and make it to class uh, as much as I can, but I'm often in a teaching role. And then I have this weird job now of making podcasts where I sit alone in a room and talk about my own ideas. And then I get feedback from people going, oh my God, like you said something and it felt right. Like that thing is so seductive. And this space of being uh, someone that has the answers is so seductive. The feeling that people want me to be right, that want me to have an answer is palpable. Like I will go and teach a workshop and people will come up to me with all kinds of questions. And they're questions that I honestly can't answer. Like, why does my knee hurt? I don't know. You know, like I can help you as an anatomy teacher, as a sensate intuitive, I can put my hands on your body, I can tell you what my uh, perspective is, we can explore some things, we can ask questions together, but why does your knee hurt? Honestly, honey, I don't know. Maybe it's genetic, maybe you hurt yourself at some point, maybe you're calcium deficient. But this is what happens as students. I had an experience um, once of being very hungry for an answer. Like I was at a really dark place in my life. I was experiencing a lot of uh, tumult in a, an important relationship. I felt like I was cracking open all the time. Like I felt so raw, so wretched, and I really needed an answer and or wanted an answer. And I found this person and this person put themselves forwards as a, a spiritual teacher, as a guru. And they offered to work with me. And the first moments of our working together, um, they, you know, they really were onto something. Like they were very powerful. They definitely could feel a lot in me. They offered a lot of insight and revelation. And then they offered me the answer, which was to sit on their dick. 
And, and for me, like this experience as a student, as a female student, as a person that doesn't want to have sex with penises, like that was extremely shocking. And it fortunately wasn't traumatizing because I'd had enough experience in my early life, like being exposed to what I'd been exposed to, that I could see it for what it was. But it was disgusting and it was infuriating. But that's what happens with teachers. It's like they think they have an answer. And then that answer and how it gets muddled up and mixed in with their own personal ambitions uh, can become a really funky place. And when students give them power, when we have these openings, this rawness, or like, please tell me I need some help, teachers can go somewhere kind of crazy with it. And so that's Sagittarius. Like all of that is Sagittarius. And this question of how to hold the seat of a teacher is Sagittarius. Now, one teacher and probably the only teacher in my entire life and being exposed to a lot of teachers, the only teacher that I can say uh, that I have really experienced like what I think is possible in a teacher is Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen. And she's still alive. If you are able to maybe study with her, access her at some point, please do. She's the person who started the School for Body Mind Centering. And um, for the last 10 years now, this is the school that I've been involved with, um, sometimes more directly, sometimes more peripherally. But Bonnie is a somatic teacher and a guide, and the way that she teaches is always in community. And I'm not going to say that she doesn't pull her own weird shit. I've never been close to her enough or involved myself enough in the school to really understand like what power dynamics there are, and I'm sure they are there because they're everywhere that people are. But my experience as a student with Bonnie is that never once did she take away my learning from me. She always gave it back to me. Anytime I would try and give her the power of my answer, she always gave it back to me. She never took away an opportunity for growth or learning. She never said she had the answer. It was always a question. It was always an invitation to explore more. She was always um, appreciating the other teachers and the people who were around her helping her build the knowledge of that work. So she would introduce herself and then she would talk about the community and all of the other people who'd ever been involved, including all the babies she'd worked with, she was an OT, and all the people she'd worked with, all of them were all her greatest teachers. And this is how she introduced herself. And for me, this then goes back to Sagittarius Gemini as a polarity and as an axis, is that Gemini is the connective tissue. It is where we are cur curious, it's where we're humble, and it's where we're on the same level with people. So again, Gemini elementary school, teachers are taller. The people who are in class with you are the people who you're learning from, really. Sagittarius are, is taller. Gemini is same height. And so, again, speaking to the other yoga teachers out there and speaking to anybody who goes to yoga, who has a yoga teacher, we are, um, we're really important right now. <laughs> we have, um, we, we, we hold spaces and we have tools to help people come into their own wisdom and come back into their bodies and to feel themselves and to heal. And if that is not the intention of what we're doing, and if we're trying to play some game around lineage and hierarchy and who's the best teacher and who's recognized by who and who's going to be the next presenter at Yoga Journal, 
Um, fuck that. If you're a yoga teacher, you are a midwife of healing. <laughs> that, that's what you're doing. You're holding space for people to remember what they already know. Please, like yoga teachers, let's do this together. And I think that a lot of you are the people who I know who are reaching out to me, who are working with me. You all are amazing. So let's make yoga studios in 2019. Let's make yoga studios places of sanctuary and healing and equal access and uh, a lot of awareness raising around cultural appropriation, right? Like stop claiming things as your own <laughs> that you don't actually care about or know about or are invested in. Like be humble and be strong. Like if you have gifts to help people feel their bodies, give those gifts. This leads me to earth, okay? So yoga teachers, <laughs> bodies, earth. That is the mental jump I made. Um, earth is the esoteric ruler of Sagittarius and esoteric astrology is uh, one of the many systems of astrology or interpretations of it um, kind of birthed by Alice Bailey and esoteric is soul-centered so it's really thinking of astrology as a language for the spiritual experience and earth and and so each sign has well not all the signs but many of them have these other rulers so these are the soul centered rulers so in esoteric um, earth is the ruler of Sagittarius and I just love this vision of like Sagittarius being connected to the galactic you know interstellar wisdom but really the seat of all wisdom is right here and so again this is the practice of yoga as I understand it is that all knowledge is contained within. And that earth is part of this larger system. And on earth, we have all of the knowledge that we need to do whatever it is that we want. I'm going to link this BBC video. It's like 10 things that you didn't know about earth to the post. Please watch it and then go outside and be amazed by the planet that you live on and then commit to the rest of your life protecting it. Um, Earth is mysterious, right? Like we as a species, as the human race, have not been here the entire time that Earth has been here. We've only been here for a fraction of that time. And Earth, through her life, has gone through so many different processes, has taken so many different forms, and is still in her, I'm gendering the earth as a feminine being, um, in its process um, of evolution. So earth is our home right now. And again, it's our arrogance to think that we know anything at all about how to be here. You know, like this idea of humans as like being the guardians of the earth and like, oh, then God gave us sovereignty over the earth and all its animals is such bullshit. Like we can affect the earth for sure. That's obvious. But are we going to be on the earth forever? No. You know, are we going to exist forever? No. We won't survive forever. The human race is dying. Every body is dying. You are dying. I am dying. Our whole race is dying. The earth itself is dying. You watch this video um, and you'll learn that in however many billion years, the earth is actually going to die. It's probably going to be consumed by the sun. So this is a, a moment. This is a state of temporality. There is infinitely more than us. 
what we are on this earth, I don't know. Maybe we're like a bacterial form that is going to change the crust of the earth. We're releasing a lot of carbon. Uh, we're we're assisting in some kind of change of the atmosphere. There have been eras on earth where there have been, uh, there's been more carbon uh, in the air than there is currently. So I don't know. But the idea that we're anything other than insignificant is also arrogant. So this is where I'm going to talk a little bit more about astrology and talk a little bit about the aspects. I think I'm going to go slightly over an hour, maybe an hour, 10 minutes. Um, but this kind of leads me uh, into this question of like, okay, well, what's the point right now? Because we're at this tipping point, right? As humanity, like we're receiving this news about impending climate chaos. Um, the climate is changing. The climate will continue to change whether or not humans are here, but humans assist climate change and accelerate it. And so with all of our carbon emissions, basically we have like nine or 10 years uh, until total chaos is upon us. That doesn't mean that chaos hasn't already begun because if you are living closer to the equator, if you're living in a third or fourth world place, chaos is already happening all the time. And so I think there's, I don't know uh, fully, but I think most of the people listening to this podcast, including myself, like we're, we're fairly insulated from the chaos that's already begun. There is already um, a lot of die-off, like species die-off and human die-off um, because of climate-related issues, whether that's forced migration, whether that's lack of viable soil, lack of clean water, etc. Um, so this is already happening, and basically uh, what one of the things that's happened in the last couple of weeks is um, all of these scientists released a report and basically said, like, okay, humanity, wake the fuck up. David Attenborough gave this address at the UN and said, like, the people of the world are calling on the leaders to shift now, not tomorrow, now. It's already happening. What can we do about it right now? So astrologically, we can talk about this with this square, uh, the new moon in square to Mars and Neptune, and the conjunction of Mars and Neptune, and the square of Jupiter, which is also in Sagittarius, to Mars and Neptune. Mars and Neptune are in Pisces. Um, so I'm going to, again, just kind of talk about the uh, logistics first and then get into the interpretation. Um, so Mars is a planet of action and a planet of war. It commonly represents males and maleness as well as uh, more masculine or testosterone associated states such as aggression, desire, assertion, um, conviction, this kind of like rah, rah, rah feeling. And Mars uh, entered Pisces in, in the beginning of November. And Mars in Pisces, Pisces is the sign of the collective sentiment. Um, you can think of this as like the collective sentiment starting to boil. So Mars is really hot. It has this like heating, activating energy. Pisces is this emotional stew that we're all a part of. It's a water element. Mars coming in is turning up the boiling point. So all of November, basically, we were in this like accelerating, ramping up, moving towards more and more emotionality. And then Mars started to move into um, 
uh, what's called a conjunction with Neptune. And so this conjunction is exact on the day of the new moon, which is one of the things that make this new moon so crazy powerful. Because the, the new moon, the sun and the moon together, are in a square, that's a 90 degree aspect, to Mars, which is conjunct Neptune. All right, so Neptune in Pisces, generational aspect, generational force. It's a 14-year transit, began in 2011, is continuing through 2027. Neptune is the modern ruler of Pisces. Its force is to dissolve things and make... Uh, well, basically like shift reality. And so reality is not real, right? Like the things that we say are reality are actually unreality because dark matter, etc. <laughs> things are always changing. Reality is constructed. Um, so Neptune is basically this force that changes the construction of reality. And in Pisces, which is its home rulership, this is the place of the collective whole. So the you, you might see how they go together, like the ruler of Pisces is Neptune. Pisces is the collective whole. It's where all of our influences merge and mix together. And it's kind of the gestation or the collective unconscious or the infinite ocean that anything comes out of. And then Neptune is this force that dissolves everything, dissolves its separation or the idea of its separation and pushes it back into this like merging state. So Neptune is there doing its work in Pisces, which is basically dissolving our current reality. And then Mars comes in and moves into conjunction. And so conjunction, again, remember, is like the new moon. And this is Neptunian energy infusing Mars energy. So Mars, boiling point, right? Like, I need to do something, all of this energy, all of this emotion. And then Neptune, dissolve, dissolve, dissolve. This is forming for the last week. It's exact today. I'm recording this the day before the new moon on December 5th. It's exact um, tomorrow. So this is a moment where so much information is flooding in and our emotions are basically like swelling and pushing and uh, like releasing us from any misidentification with our separate egos. Haha, <laughs> that's one way to look at it. Um, Jupiter is also part of this. So Jupiter has uh, been in Sagittarius since um, the beginning of November as well. This is a 12-month cycle. And Sagittarius is 90 degrees from Pisces, so they're square. They're both mutable signs. And Jupiter has been uh, approaching a square with Neptune. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But first, Jupiter was square to Mars on November 19th and 20th, and we're still feeling that. And Neptune was retrograde and it turns direct on uh, November 25th. And we're still feeling that. So before I go any further, I just want to say that the last two weeks, and this has to do with uh, what's going on with Mercury too, which I'm going to talk about in a couple minutes. But the last two weeks have been really fucking intense for a lot of people. And I don't know how it's been feeling for you, but... If you have been having crazy dreams, visitations from your ancestors, visions, if you've been hearing, seeing, smelling things that like aren't actually around, don't worry. If you have been um, having a lot of emotional release, 
Um, I, I, last week, I think I spent like three days basically crying all day. Um, if, if you have been feeling completely swamped in by your feelings, um, we, this aspect is, it's like, if you're at all a sensitive person, you're picking up stuff that is swimming in the collective and you're processing it. That's how I have been experiencing it and how I've been interpreting it. There's so much going on right now that needs to get processed, that needs to move through, and anyone who has any capacity to do it is doing it. I'm going to talk more about that, but just wanted to say that quickly. So Jupiter is heading into a square with Neptune. It's going to square Neptune three times in the next year. January 12th through 16th, June 14th through 21st, and basically all of September. During this time, there is so much insight available for those who are open. And I want to be clear here that like this aspect can also produce a lot of confusion. It can also be really intense overwhelm. And we are going to see that in the world. We're going to see more and more of this like fake news hyperbole kind of things like who said what and what the fuck is going on and oh my god and um remember Jupiter rules broadcasting Sagittarius rules broadcasting and Neptune is delusion it's fantasy it's addiction they're square to each other people who are addicted and who are susceptible to addiction you really need to be careful during this time please get on a spiritual path like if you feel yourself being like oh my god that thing that thing that thing Addiction is heightened right now, but so is sacredness. And so if you're battling with addiction, this next year is a time to get free of it because the conditions are so ready. What will help you get out of those addictive patterns? Faith in something that's bigger than you, not in a form or a formula, okay? Remember infinite wisdom. Have faith in the cosmos. Creativity. (laughs) singing dancing making art writing poetry um faith and creativity are your best friends for neptune and infinite love compassion self-compassion you know you're suffering you're dying so am i releasing the personal is is your clue like that's what neptune wants us to do it's like we got to release the personal pain how do you do it i don't know you have faith you use art the addiction is rooted in your own fear of all that you could be, okay? It's, it's what we cling to in order to not be as vast as we are. So this is a year to, to move past addiction if you're dealing with it. Um, Pisces, you know, Pisces is this energy that is both the greatest pain and the greatest gift. And so these aspects from Jupiter and the new moon, um, and Mars that are coming in are, it's, it's, it's both of those things. It's the greatest pain and it's the greatest gift. And I know that after I spent three days on the floor, I've had the last however many days feeling really inspired and really held and really clear. And uh, I was talking to, to someone else who had a, a big flare up um, with an autoimmune thing and it like they went through that and then all of this information is coming in now through their dream space and so it's this kind of thing it's like we need to clear it out we need to clear the toxins and the poisons out of us we have to feel them we have to process them 
then there is some more space on the other side. So that's part of what we're going to be going through, part of what we have been going through. And this has been kind of accelerated and pushed into um, like potency even more with what's been happening in the water signs. And so to stay in Pisces for a moment, we have um, Chiron um, in Pisces now. And Chiron entered Pisces also in 2011, and it is on its way out. So it's starting to move out of Pisces and into Aries. And Chiron is a point that describes psychological understanding. So it is basically insight. It is the way that we can go, oh, that's that thing. Like I'm doing that thing that is causing me pain. I don't want to do that anymore. Or we go, oh, that's that thing that I inherited from like my dad and he got it from his mom and I don't want to do that anymore. So psychological understanding is the ability to see something in its pattern and at its root and make a choice around it, make an informed choice around it. And it's not like you're going to get over the thing. Like you still have it, but then you can choose to not do it. You can choose not to make it worse. And until Chiron is recognized, you are blindly making it worse. And this is what we all do with our conditioning. So if you grew up in an abusive home, uh, whoever was abusing you was abused, right? Like um, I listened to my favorite podcast right now is How to Survive the End of the World with Adrian Marie Brown and Autumn Brown, their sisters. And if you haven't listened to it yet, you should listen to it. They were interviewing someone and I can't remember what her name is, but she's this person in Chicago who's been involved with accountability um, processes for um, perpetrators. And she's doing this amazing work. And so she said this thing that was like, no one, and now I can't remember what exactly how she said, but it was basically like, no one is born a perpetrator. Like no one is born uh, it, in in like the impulse to be violent like we all get that from somewhere and as she was expressing that like I was just weeping listening to this thing because I'm getting teary now like she's talking about compassion right like basic goodness and remembering that for one another like no one is born evil <laughs> maybe some people but no really like it's people get conditioned and so what Chiron is, is the ability to understand the nature of the conditioning and make a different choice. But if you were born into an abusive family, you have the seeds of abuse within you. You definitely have that instinct to either continue perpetuating it upon yourself or continue perpetuating it towards someone else. I can speak to this being born into a family that experienced mental illness. It still does. You know, it's like that, um, that seed is there. And so we have to wake up to it. And then it's constant diligence and discipline. Like, ooh, there's that thing again. I'm not going to do it. And over time, that habit becomes stronger and eventually becomes dominant. So it's not such a struggle to not do the thing anymore, but it's still a process. So this is what Chiron is. And Chiron has been moving through Pisces for the last seven years, eight years, which is the sign of collective pain. And so something is happening right now where we're all like, and this is part of the UN address, you know, it's like us as human beings are getting this slap on the face being like, hey, you're making it worse. Stop making it worse. You're also part of this. And it's nobody's sole responsibility to fix it, but we're all in this together. Why are we getting this message right now? 
Mercury on the day of the new moon, so basically today, is turning direct and its station point is 27 degrees of Scorpio. So this is exactly trying to where Chiron is in Pisces. Mercury is the cognitive mind. It is how we perceive information through language, through our organs of perception and our cognitive faculties. Mercury moves really fast normally, like a number of degrees per day. The, the thing that it's doing right now, which is basically hanging out at one point in the sky when it's stationing, is uh, rare. Like for, for Mercury to spend more than a couple, like, you know, a couple of hours at one degree point is rare. So from December 4th through 9th, Mercury is at 27 degrees. This is five days where our cognitive mind is basically in flow with Chiron and Pisces, and a trine aspect is flow. So the cognitive mind is really open right now to the uh, Chiron in Pisces influence, and a lot of us are getting downloads. We're getting information. We're getting like, oh, like this is the thing. This is how I need to act. This is the information. We needed that emotional blockage to clear the thing that was happening last week with the square energy that I was talking about in order to get this insight. So um, I know with clients that I've been working with that this is happening for a lot of folks. Um, if you're interested in sharing, you can always write me an email or comment on the post or something. Um, but one of the things that Pisces represents in its collective state is ancestors and our ancestral guides and the spirits of the other realms that we can't perceive. And so this is part of why I was saying, like, if you're getting visitations, if you're having dreams, if you're hearing voices, it's because you're open, not because you're crazy. Okay. It's because you're open. However, uh, there's a lot of stuff in this collective soup. So you can also use your cognitive mind and your spiritual faculty to ask for what you need and what you want. You do not have to be open to everything. Um, I was listening to another podcast that I've been enjoying and now I'm forgetting the name. It's like a little bit of juju or something. This gal, I think in Chicago, who's um, a medium and uh, Orisha practitioner, I don't know what it is, I can't speak about it intelligently, she's awesome, you should check her out, um, but she was talking about in one of her episodes, Ancestors and Building an Altar to the Ancestors, and I really loved what she was talking about, and um, it was new information for me, like this way to engage with altars and talking to the ancestors through an altar. I talk to ancestors all the time and I have an altar, but I had never thought of like, oh, okay, like I'm just going to go to the altar and sit there and talk to their pictures. I kind of tend to talk to them more through journaling, but I think that um, either way is good. You know, you, you have your own methods for speaking to your guides and speaking to your ancestors. And now is a time to do it. Now is a time to reach out, reach for the ones who um, you really connect with. Like if you're a person who is living in some really marginalized identity, there's a good chance that you have an ancestor who also held that identity. You know, that was one of the things she said that I really appreciated. Um, like connect to your ancestors. You're not alone. And it's really important for us to remember that right now and to reach out for our guides and to ask for protection and to ask for their knowledge and their wisdom to come in to support and assist us because we definitely and 
kind of inequivocally are at this turning point on earth. If we don't get our shit together, um, we're going to really go down pretty fast and pretty hard. We're dying for sure. Like we're all on that path. It's not like we're going to get our shit together and then like ascend into some other reality. I really don't think that's going to happen, but we don't have to make it worse. We actually don't. We can get our shit together. We can turn around. We can make some different choices. And the aspect that Chiron and Mercury are both making is an exact trine, 27 degrees north node in Cancer. And this really, I think, is, is the answer, is that this Cancerian energy knows how to include and it knows how to be family. And this is the thing that I think we're all waking up to, is that it doesn't matter what your identity is at the root of it is you're still part of the human race and the earth is our home and we can get caught up in all these different differences and we can fight until our death and that's exactly what we've been doing or we can turn around and extend our generosity outwards we can say to one another like you belong with me you have a place in my heart and create family and it's something that i you know feel like i talk about fairly regularly is like if humans as a whole, if we could shift our currency, <laughs> shift our currents uh, away from what patriarchy and authoritarianism and this kind of scarcity model that we've been given is, if we could shift that into an outward flowing generosity and a remembering that when you're happy, when you feel good, so do I, like that's a knowing that we have somewhere and it is beyond this bullshit uh, that we're in right now of like privilege and some people only having what's going to make them happy because these are those are the people that are also hurting a lot of folks. So it's everybody all together. When you are happy, so am I. When I hurt you, I hurt myself worse. I set myself up for more suffering. When I do something that contributes to your happiness, I contribute to my own. It might be indirect, but it is real. So Chiron is moving out of Pisces. It is going to make its final um, ingress into the next sign, Aries. It, it kind of moved in um, for a minute in April um, of this year. So it moved into Aries for the first time in April 17th. Then it, it turned retrograde. I didn't write those dates down. It's been back in Pisces for a number of months. Um, and then it'll spend, um, it's a nine-year cycle basically in Aries that finishes up in April of 2027. Aries is the sign of the self and the ego and the mind. And Chiron in Aries is a nine-year cycle of ego healing. And I think that this cycle is really about addressing our specialness and the need to know right? Like the need to know that is Aries. It's like, I am, I'm in my mind. I like me, mine. And the thing that I've been talking about with Sagittarius, I know something. Um, if we can use this nine-year cycle to give up specialness and to belong to each other and to invest in uh, like communal wisdom processes, like holding each other accountable and calling each other in and basically figuring out how to be family, um, I think we could actually get somewhere. So, um, you know, we're insignificant, really. The human race, insignificant. The earth itself, insignificant, except to us, because it's our fucking home. So what are we doing here? 
Um, that brings me to the, the thing I'm going to end on, which is this Venus retrograde cycle is ending. Um, it ends for real on the 17th of December, so a week and a half from the new moon. And uh, it began the first week of September. So the, the last number of months we've been dealing with Venus retrograde, and this has been a cycle um, that has been asking all of us to clarify what we care about and what we're going to invest in. So Venus rules love and money. What are you doing with your energy and with your power? Big questions. Venus made three oppositions to Uranus during its retrograde, September 12th through 14th, October 30th through 31st, and December 1st through 2nd, just a couple of days ago. In these oppositions, um, we were asked to get real, like break free from the things that bind you, break free from your ego attachments, what actually matters. And as this Venus cycle wraps up, this is something to take with you and to continue to invest in and continue to build on. The earth is dying, right? Like it's insignificant in the multiverse. It's going to go through all of its other eras. The human race will die sooner than later. The earth is going to continue to transform. Its crust is going to change. Whatever is going to happen. Our lives are insignificant. They don't fucking matter except to us because we're living them right now and our children because they're living them in the future. So who do we want to be accountable for and what kind of reality do we want to create for ourselves? This is a big question. Um, meditate on that. Okay, so I've already gone over an hour. I have all these other notes that I wanted to talk about. Just really quickly, Mercury turning direct um, on the day of the new moon. A classic interpretation of Mercury turning direct is information becomes revealed. Um, this has been really exciting, like watching the soap opera drama of the Robert Mueller investigation into the mafia. Oh my God, like total mafia, Trump family money and all of their crazy ties to Russia and everything that's happening over there. So maybe something will happen that unthrones that motherfucker. Um, also on the day that uh, Uranus and Venus opposed on October 30th, uh, George H.W. Bush died and he was a real piece of shit and I'm glad he's gone. Uh, so he, you know, President Bush, um, old blue blood Puritan money from the Northeast, uh, like Episcopalian patriarch, um, responsible for the 1989 invasion of Panama that like ostensibly was to oust some drug cartel leader, Noriega, but was in fact internationally condemned and a violation of the Treaty of Nations and a place where the USA tested numerous new, completely inhumane, completely crazy weapons, and where the U.S. conducted its first experiments on restricting and controlling media. So the United States bombed the shit out of poor black and brown communities in Panama that they knew no one would pay attention to, and then they restricted journalist access. Listen to um, Tuesday, December 4th, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman and Juan Gonzalez, the co-host, was one of the journalists that got in, and he'll tell you about it. Oh my God, so good riddance, George Bush. Um, 
Okay, well, there's more, but I'm going to leave it there and um, encourage everybody to sign up for uh, the subscribership with Embodied Astrology. I mentioned in the Sag uh, Scorpio season planner that the midterm elections happened on the day that um, Uranus turned uh, direct. Was that that day? Um, now I can't remember. November 6th. Uranus turning direct. Um, it was someday with Uranus. Now I'm, rem I'm forgetting the exact aspect, but I remember writing in the, that week, watch the elections because they are going to be chaos. And um, the midterm elections uh, are still undecided in North Carolina, where Republicans are accused of stealing ballots from uh, Black and Native American voters. And oh, uh, the Wisconsin Republicans just uh, passed some bill in the middle of the night to weaken the power of the incoming uh, Democrat, Tony Evers. So weird stuff is happening. Um, and astrology might be a way to plan for it. So if you sign up for a monthly subscribership, you will get um, a copy of Sagittarius season planner. There's still two weeks left and um, the Capricorn season planner, which will come out on the winter solstice. Um, so I'll leave it there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support of Embodied Astrology. Please check out the guided meditation. It's called Consciousness Shift. It is working somatically through the body um, to do all the stuff that I was talking about this last hour and a half um, in terms of awakening to our place, uh, opening our perspective and shifting consciousness. Um, your audio horoscopes are all available along with the affirmations at embodiedastrology.com. And I always welcome your feedback. Please write me a note if you have something to share. I'm on Instagram at Embodied Astrology and on Facebook at Embodying the Zodiac. I don't really use Twitter, but um, I'm there too. And I hope to see you soon. All right, everyone. Blessings and bye for now.